Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. The problem is, it's hard to have a small crisis. And so what you're beginning to see that invariably happens in markets is what we call some of the first and second and third derivative impacts. So probably the first impact was obvious, was the one about, you know, with the Japanese yen, right? The Japanese yen has gone from about 100 yen to the dollar, 110 or something, to 145. And it keeps climbing. The yen gets weaker and weaker. Now, the Japanese aren't going to raise interest rates. They're convinced that they don't have pronounced inflation. And then on the other side, you've seen the pound sterling, GBP, now down two and a half percent. Now, to give you a sense of a two and a half percent decline in a currency, I mean, this doesn't happen in Western developed nations. This happens in developing countries, in emerging markets. That was Gavin. I'm Rish, and this is Tomorrow's News. This week, Gavin gives us a broader, cohesive perspective on the events that are currently impacting the markets. Let's dive in. Hi, Gavin. How are you going? Good. Good morning, Rish, or good afternoon. Good evening, even. So what are you catching us up on today? Well, there's been a lot that happened, I think, since we last had a chance to catch up. So I think the key is to just sort of get people caught up to where we are in markets. Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of different sorts of events have been happening. Yeah, let's dive in. Now, I feel during these periods, you get a month's worth of action in a day. And for people who work on trading desks, that's probably very much how it feels at the moment. The reality is that there's been so much going on from a macro perspective that the environment has made it extremely difficult for people to allocate capital, both long and short. And what that means is that risk capital has sort of sat on the sidelines. And so what are the couple of events that have gone on here, right? The first one is everybody knew that the Fed was going to raise interest rates, and they did. And so they raised interest rates 75 basis points, and they said, look, we're going to keep fighting inflation. We think that the prices of houses, of shelter, of rent are too high. We think that inflation is our primary concern. We're going to leave interest rates higher. We're going to leave them higher for longer. So it looks like they're going to have more of like a crash landing than the soft landing you were hoping, we were hoping it would be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. You know, I think if we take ourselves back to June, July, even August, folks said soft landing was possible. Now, why would that have been possible? Because the Fed would have begun to moderate its pace of interest rate increases in such a way that they would begin to let the pace of monetary policy do its work. So the real bears out there who are bearish on the market, they're bearish on interest rates, they're bearish on everything. They say, look, inflation's out of control. The Fed overdid it by, actually globally, everybody overdid it by adding too much liquidity during COVID. And now you got to take it all back and you got to take it back fast. And you were actually too slow in doing it initially. So now you got to even be more aggressive. And they point to all kinds of inflationary dynamics, right? Limited number of workers in Western countries. They point to the increasing cost of energy, uh, both in terms of the demand profile and also 
because of the war created by Russia and Ukraine. So, you know, you got all sorts of dynamics that are driving prices higher. And so they're like, look, you know, you've really got to keep getting being aggressive, right? Interest rates have got to go high. Fed funds rates have got to go all the way to 5%. I think currently the market expects them probably peak out around 4.5 or so. That was what the bears say. Now, the bulls would say, well, hang on a second. We've, we've been raising interest rates only for about six months. We've gotten more and more aggressive. And actually, the data has been weakening. The only costs that are going still sort of climbing, if you will, are shelter costs, which are a lagging indicator. Housing is, you know, takes a long time to go through its cycle. So shelter costs are the number one. And then the number two issue is employment. And it's just employment also is a lagging indicator. You know, we will, we're 3.6% unemployment in the U.S. You know, we could go up 100 or 200 basis points and it's going to feel a lot worse than that small change appears. And then some of the inflationary impacts, supply chain and otherwise are, are all coming off. People can point to, you know, Baltic sea freight rates being now back to the lows of where they were pre-COVID and so forth. So that's what the bulls point to. And they say, well, look, the Fed's overdone it. Frankly, they're going to have to cut rates sooner than they think because the economy is going to go into a downward spiral. And, and that means that, in fact, we'll sort of be able to arrest the worst of this decline and, and not have a deep recession. So that's the sort of the two sides of the argument. Now, the problem is it's hard to have a small crisis. And so... What you're beginning to see that invariably happens in markets is what we call sort of the first and second and third derivative impacts. So probably the first impact was obvious, was the one about, you know, with the Japanese yen, right? The Japanese yen has gone from about 100 yen to the dollar, 110 or something, to 145, okay? And it keeps climbing. The yen gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. Now, the Japanese aren't going to raise interest rates. They're convinced that they don't have pronounced inflation. So you've seen that. And then on the other side, you've seen the pound sterling, GBP, now down 2.5%. Now, to give you a sense of a 2.5% decline in a currency, I mean, this doesn't happen in Western developed nations. This happens in developing countries, in emerging markets. So what's different here? Look, what's different is the impact, the dual impact of a massive change and a fast change in available, globally available capital for risk, because all capital is crowding into the U.S. dollar, and not only into the U.S. dollar, but into short-term U.S. dollars, right? Short-term U.S. dollars, because... Nobody wants to take any risk, you know, to, to buy bonds that are of a longer duration or, of a, you know, a longer period before they repay your capital. Everyone's in cash, 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 cash. And you talk to anybody right now, they're all, oh, I'm in cash, you know. Oh, my God, you know, can't buy anything. So what happens is that in the UK, they're like, huh, there's no interest in risk. We've got a really challenging economy. It's... We're, we're having to take back all this liquidity and energy prices, which are priced in U.S. dollars, have gone through the roof, right, because of crisis in Ukraine. And so the U.K. economy is under pressure. And then the chancellor of the exchequer in, in the U.K. and with the new government 
presented sort of a pro forma budget or a mini budget, as they call it. And he said, look, we're going to save the economy. I and mean, the way we're going to save the economy is we're massively going to cut taxes in the near term. And we're particularly going to cut taxes on the rich and, and corporate taxes. And of course, we're going to make sure that everybody's energy bills are covered. And we're going to go pro-growth. And I mean, this would be a growthy kind of strategy. Now, if you didn't have inflation, then some might argue this is pretty good fiscal policy, right? You know, you'd attract global capital and so forth. But in fact, what the market has said is, whoa, you don't have the ability to repay that debt, right? (laughs) We think that what you've done is you've basically cut your revenue source and you haven't created any real sustainable growth here. You've just basically massively increased the amount of debt in the UK. And so how do we, how do we reflect that? Well, we sell the pound, right? Because we're not sure that interest rates are going to be going up. Although I can guess we're sitting here at the, in the UK morning. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm very smart people that I speak to wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see an emergency rate hike from the Bank of England here this morning, because you don't want your currency to continue to decline, right? I mean, you face a real challenge to try to finance your any external debt and so forth if people have no confidence in your currency. That's what happens in emerging markets in particular. So it would appear that there are some real challenges for the UK. And you can blame these indirectly on the Fed. You can blame them more directly on the Russia-Ukraine crisis and so forth. So those are the kinds of derivative impacts. Now, we're also seeing potentially impact in other countries, right? The Australian dollar now is below 65 cents. You know, I think it probably gets all the way into the mid 50s here during this little mini crisis. You obviously have seen equities come off substantially. You haven't seen credit markets move yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the next cab off the rank is to see credit markets move substantially downward as, you know, see credit spreads move out and risk prices move downward, yields move upward. As people say, I'm going to need an increased interest rate to accommodate for all the risk that these companies may not repay their debt. So those are all the kinds of attendant issues that are um, bopping around out there. Yeah, no, sorry. That sounds like a lot is happening with a lot of issues that have been going on for a while, but it sounds like they're finally circling together and between possibly high inflation and the depreciation of the pound and raising rates, that could possibly be a really bad cycle. What do you think investors should be looking at now? What is your outlook on the market going forward? Yeah, I think, look, these are challenging periods, but I think that we need to start looking at the potential decline scenarios and how deeply we can decline, potential what I'd call bear rallies, and then what 12 to 18 months returns might look like. Let's look at decline. So let's use the S&P 500 and plenty of bearish folks on, you know, on Twitter and elsewhere would tell you that somewhere between 3,000 and 3,300 on the S&P, it's S&P 3693 as we sit here today. So call it a 10%-ish type decline, maybe a little bit more, maybe 15. They'd say, well, that, that looks like fair value today. You know? So that's where we sort of see the market heading towards. 
And I understand how they make that argument. And it's always tough when you got a, you're looking at a broad index because within a broad index, there are, you know, a multitude of component parts that matter more or less. But I think the first thing is, yes, there is from an index perspective, pretty extreme risk that we see a, another 10% type decline on or even more on the broad indices. But when you start to dig in and you ask yourself, well, what about individual securities, right? Where are the individual securities? Where are their valuations? Where do they look like over time? Well, you see plenty of securities, plenty of companies, particularly in technology, that are really at some pretty pronounced lows over time. I might observe that uh, Meta, Facebook, is now trading about the same place it was in the bottom of 2020, right? When we, we had the worst of COVID. Pretty interesting. I, you know, I'm not saying it's a buy here, but saying that's certainly something that's worth observing and asking yourself, well, is that a meaningful benchmark? I think I could think about it lots of different ways to say that it may or may not be. I would observe that there are plenty of technology stocks that are bouncing around down 75 or 80% who still have some pretty good growth ahead of them, pretty good margins, now at quite low valuations, often coming into you know, low multiples of revenue, single, you know, they've got their EBITDA generative. Those are looking sort of interesting to us now. I find it curious. I look at um, Shopify and I'd say to myself, well, well, this is interesting. Like Shopify now trades below where it did in the bottom of 2020. And perhaps the entire e-commerce market has passed it by, or there are other reasons why not to like Shopify. But you can observe all these stocks are somewhere at lows. So I think to say I'm selling now, I think might be a little bit late for that. So that's the first thing. So now that our next question is, when do we start to buy? Well, I think we we probably over the next three to four weeks, we're going to see a pretty good little low in here. I'm not sure it's the low for the entire cycle, but I think it certainly will provide the backs, you know, the, the underpinnings for a pretty good rally, perhaps into year end, which could be kind of interesting. So that's the first thing. So I think investors with a longer term mindset should look to be buying securities here over the next call it four weeks or so. There's definitely going to be some opportunity in broader global equities. Investors with a shorter term mindset, I think, you know, if you're short, I think you're, you got a lot of risk here that we see some pretty choppy action and a a snapback rally. I think it's probably a little early to be long against a, a bottom, but we're not far away from that. And, you know, I think that the other observations I would make are that, you know, we're probably going to make a lot of money being long bonds here at some point. And probably the pivot point on that is maybe October and November in terms of the CPI readings, which we you could finally begin to see a, a pretty sharp decline in CPI. And as soon as you see that first sort of negative print, I think the market will take that to be a jumping off point. Now, there's probably going to be lots of little data points ahead of that. So the market generally trades ahead of those kinds of things. But that could be a pretty interesting opportunity to see a rally developing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to go back to something you said a bit earlier about Shopify. I found that interesting. Do you think that like the e-commerce space is done growing? Because we saw a massive boom in that during the pandemic. 
I absolutely not done growing. In fact, we are seeing now increases in e-commerce sales notionally and even as slightly as a percentage of overall sales. We haven't perhaps done what people thought we might do in terms of taking e-commerce from, I think it's about 18% of U.S. retail sales, taking it from 18% to some sort of wild 30 or 40%, I think in the UK or a few other places, it's, it can be you know similar to that. So yeah, I don't think that that's occurred. But at the end of the day, we're also in a period where there's a lot of innovation in commerce. There's a lot of innovation in how companies are going to market with the consumer. You're seeing an increasing number of delivery logistics companies coming to play. And remember, as logistics costs come down, e-commerce is more attractive, right? So I think there's no question that e-commerce is here to stay. I have not done a deep dive on Shopify. I see a company with a $36 billion market cap and $5 billion in sales and $5 of cash. And I think, well, if they can make sure that they can structure themselves correctly here for the next phase, there's probably a pretty good number that they from a valuation perspective, that makes sense. And that number could be where it is at 36 billion, could be half of that, could be 18, could be the right number. I I really don't know, but we're getting there. And in general, these companies don't shout out that they're cheap at the bottom. You know, you have to sort of do some deciphering to, um, to understand them. Yeah, cool. It sounds like we are approaching one of those buying stretches you said we would by September and October. Yeah, well, look, Mercury is in retrograde until October 2nd. So, you know, I don't know that we, we've got a lot of mayhem between now and October 2nd, but once we get to uh, perhaps it's next Monday or Tuesday, we could be in a completely different market uh, yet again. And I fully expect that all of this volatile market action will lead to more volatility, more policy responses that will create volatility. It doesn't generally tend to just sort of settle out and that's it. it. It tends to be a series of these events and responses and so forth. So uh, it can get pretty hairy out there for the next little while, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're still discussing some of the issues we've been discussing for the last few months because it seems like a cycle that you know, like sort of snowballs and there's more policy response and more stuff. But it'll be interesting to see what things are like by next week. Yeah. Well, I think it may even be later this week, but certainly by early next week, that's for sure. I think you're we're right in the thick of it now. Cool. Thanks, Gavin. Thank you very much, Rish. I appreciate it. And that's tomorrow's news. For more conversations like these, join us on the BFA Discord at the link in the description. We'll be back next week.